Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast. My name's Ian Broom and I'm joined as ever by... Oh, Donna Sorensen, you did it a different way around this time. <laughs> We're supposed to do I'm Ian Broom and I'm Donna Sorensen. But anyway, hello everybody, I'm Donna Sorensen. I'm sorry, I haven't really got used to this. I would have been terrible on uh, the two Ronnies. <laughs> yeah. Although I do look a little bit like the little one. <laughs> <laughs> Just in terms of size. That's um, that's quite a thing to say. I'm going to have to try and find that to put in the show notes now, what what Ronnie Corbett looks like. I was not expecting to have to do that. <laughs> Sorry. I, I may even superimpose... I may superimpose his head or your head on his body or something. Oh, it would be amazing. That would I'd love to see that. I really would. So, today we are going to be talking about um, uh, a couple of things and then later on we're going to be answering... A listener question. A listener question. And (laughs) (laughs) it's worse than last time. Sorry. No, I I think it should stay. You don't think that I should like work on it to get the the right notes? Shall I just do freestyle every time? Yes. All right. And the question we're going to be talking we're going to be talking about um, novella. So we had a question by at Brown Marbles on Twitter. I I don't think that's. Um, uh, a Twitter name chosen following a medical condition. I hope not. Oh, but surely it's, it's poo, isn't it? Brown marbles. <laughs> um, asks, would it be better to self-publish a novella rather than try and sell it to a publisher? And um, we're going to try and answer that question with very little knowledge of the subject. <laughs> which is pretty much the same for everything. <laughs> oh. um, but before that, we're going to talk about Two things. How much of yourself do you give away as an author? And I think in some way related to this, we're also going to talk about how do you balance dedicating time to writing and building, in inverted commas, a platform. And I think building a platform has a lot to do with how much of yourself do you give away as an author. So I think the two subjects are kind of related. Which one do you want to tackle first? Interview. Interview? I'm like, how much of yourself do you give away? Oh, okay. So you're talking specifically about how much do you have yourself to give away in an interview? Well, I mean, I I probably haven't delved deep enough into my own online world um, to to worry about that. I mean, you know, I've written a few pieces on my blog, and I guess in terms of the tone of that, I've I've not worried too much because I've just done short bios. But where I've really experienced this now, wondering how much I should say is because I well is in the first interview I've done. I've just been interviewed for the first time for um, a great writing website called writing.ie. Um, they do all sorts of different things. They've got resources for writers and, and um, yeah, lots on there. So you should go and have a look. But, um, but yeah, it was a very interesting process, I found. What did you find difficult about it? I, what I found difficult was the fact that I hadn't really considered the fact that I was, you know, going to talk about, my writing and oh it was going to happen by email that's that's the first thing I should say this was an email interview um so that I could just sit down by myself and I could just like write away and I was like oh yeah and I had no idea the first time I did this and blah 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 and and then you know I was always wondering what do other writers do blah blah and then I sent back the first the first answer and then I thought oh hang on a minute like I should actually just stop and think about what I sound like because you know I've got a collection published now and I'm, you know, I've got to not sound like an absolutely neurotic idiot. 
because I suddenly wondered if I did sound like that, you know, with all sorts of questions about I wasn't really sure, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Well, what, I don't was, know, what I was the question? What was the question that you were asked? Well, no, there's just things like, you know, in terms of how much of your writing had you done in, in workshops and stuff like that. And uh, at the start, I'd said that I'd found, you know, workshops really, really hand, uh, useful and things like that. And then I was like, oh, but, you know, I that was only a tiny, tiny little part of it. And I don't want it to come across like, you know, I've, I've done this collection in, 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 you know, writing courses and workshops and stuff like that, because I haven't. There was only one poem in there. So then I thought, I better say that, you know, blah, blah. it just, I, I think I started to overthink everything with my answers because I suddenly was worried, you know, who is reading this? What's the audience? You know, do I have to make myself sound like a really massively experienced author who just knows the answers to everything? Because every interview I've read with, writers they tend to be a lot more sure about themselves than i sounded and you've just done an interview recently haven't you i saw uh, yes i did a, a, a in a similar process an email interview with a, a website called the bookseller the bookseller salon oh, yeah it's, yeah a salon yeah i was going to say it wasn't the bookseller yeah book salon yep what, what did you what did you think did, is that what prompted you to want to discuss this was it seeing the way that i'd answered the questions little bit actually yeah because you know you were talking about the the twins and everything like the bringing lots of your your personal life into it and stuff like that and I felt like I'd been quite restrained then towards the end because I probably over overthunk things at the start <laughs> you know it's just interesting to see the way that you that you answered the questions as opposed to the way that I might have answered them well that, and that's also interesting that you would say that because you you've we've we've talked on this podcast before about us both having got children and and living in copenhagen and having lived in ireland you've you've you have you've perhaps revealed more personal stuff than maybe you maybe you think yeah maybe i have i think for me it's more that i was worried that you know before you get a book published you think oh people who've had books published they're writers and they know about writing and they are Mm. you know they're they're a, a, a source of reference and and inspiration and they're people that just know and then I was sitting on the other side having had a book published and answering questions and feeling like I did you know I sounded like an absolute Egypt basically and um I hadn't expected to feel like that yeah I, I, I there is definitely a, a shift in mentality when when your work gets published I, I mean, most of the stuff that I've published on Write for Your Life, sorry, as in like blog posts on, on Write for Your Life, most of those were written, most episodes of this podcast, I think, were were recorded um, before I was published. And actually, I've, the, the opposite has kind of happened to me. I think I was more confident and cocksure and, you know, you should do this and you should do that if you're a writer before I was published than afterwards. But I think it's for the same reasons. I think that there's a certain sense of responsibility I feel now and for some reason, I'm more inclined now to not just go, this is what you should do. I'm more inclined to talk about, well, actually, I found this difficult and I used to find this really difficult. And, you know, <laughs> how many times, for goodness sake, have I talked about how difficult I find it to write at the moment because I've got a busier life and I'm older and I've got twins and all this sort of thing. I talk about this stuff um, um, in, I think, a probably negative isn't the right word, but I, I think I come across more... Um, these days more like I find it challenging than I used to where I think I was slightly more secretive or I shared less and I wanted to come across like I knew what I was doing um, yeah. whereas now I think in some weird way 
I have the confidence because my book's been published to, to kind of go, well, you know, obviously I'm awesome because my book's been published. But actually that's given me the license to say, do you know what? But it's actually quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. I can see that. I um I seem to ask lots of questions in my answers <laughs> this interview, and that's when I was starting to think, hang on a minute, <laughs> what on earth do I sound like here? Like asking about what other writers. I've always wondered about other writers, <laughs> this kind of stuff. Oh, you know, this is supposed to be an interview with someone who's had a book published, and then they're saying, you know, helping other people who would like to have books published, or or helping them to read your book in a certain way, you know. Um, I guess also because it's for a website like writing.ie, which is the resource for writers much the same way as this podcast is, um, that I was thinking, well, the people that are reading this are people who are on the same kind of path and, and getting, you know, getting stuck into the process of writing. And they've probably got as many questions about everything as I have. And that's maybe why I, I just kind of pitched it like that, you know, as opposed to I've read other interviews with other writers on writing.ie where they they just seem so much more confident about their writing. And I think that's what surprised me. I didn't sound very confident about myself. And I think that that is just the reality of being a being a writer, published, unpublished or whatever. I think that the, that there is there is there is a we all have a confidence issue at some point, and I agree with you. you. You hear people, you see interviews or hear interviews, or you read other people's blog posts, and you know they come across like it's the easiest thing in the world, and and their advice seems sound. But the reality is, they they probably they probably have the same difficulties that we all do. I mean, being faced with a blank page i'm sure it's more or less the same feeling for everyone that kind of terrors you know what do i write it's there are some i think that's the good the, the nice thing about writing is that we do all have a shared experience we all know what it's like to have writer's block or whatever you want to call it we all know what it's like to write something and be really happy with it and i guess we all know what it's like to receive bad feedback is there is a there is a certain shared experience with writing any writing actually not just writing um, creative writing um, and 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 just because someone at some point said well actually we like what you've written and we want to sell it that doesn't suddenly make you any more you, you don't suddenly change as an author you don't suddenly become sort of massively super confident to the point where you actually f forget all the tough bits totally and it doesn't make you infallible either I mean, I, you know, in, in films where people get lined up and um, and something bad's going to happen and it's the person right next to the to the main protagonist that gets taken out or whatever. I, I kind of felt like that recently because, um, I, you know, I've had three reviews for the book now and they've all been really, really good. I'm very pleased to say and so delighted. But I still have that feeling that, you know, you have no idea it could happen at any time that you get a bad review. But there's another guy that published recently by the same... Um, publishing company that I've been published by, New Island Books, um, had a review this week, or last week actually, which was just so, it just, it like, made, it made your eyes water. It was so personal and painful, you know? And I guess that's another thing about when you've got a book out there and you're being interviewed. I, I was thinking, you know, people are able to compare what I'm saying right now with the finished goods and, and it's all got to be, you know, it's all this package. It's got to be consistent and it's, it's just a lot more pressure. I guess it is more pressure, I, I, I suppose, but it depends. I think it also depends on what you write. So I think the I think that your poetry is naturally personal to a degree. 
um, well, as, well, to a large degree, actually, it's it's very personal. Your poetry, a lot of the exp- things you write about, and a lot of things that a lot of other writers write about are personal to them. Mm. Um, I guess I guess I don't have that with my, with my novel because it isn't personal really in any way. It's uh, it's it's you know very much with the case that I didn't write what I what I know. Although you know there are some personal influences, but it's not like I wrote a, my life story or anything like that. So maybe no. there's maybe there's an element of of that involved in in it that you you know yeah. you're sharing yourself through your writing, but also when you talk about um, your writing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it is it is it is hard to know how much of yourself to share online. I think this is I yeah. think this is this is heavily tied into it. I think because you know yeah I, I was I'm a bit surprised to hear you say that what, what you said because I know that you are quite happy to share your, uh, you know, certain elements, an edited version of, of your of your life with people, for, for example, on Twitter. So you will talk about, um, um, uh, you know, what you're doing in your, your own life, as, as will I to a degree. And, and so the fact that you are now sort of concerned about how much you give away was a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to... to I, I'm not. I don't need to be perfect to seem perfect online. I guess I just have a, a an issue about seeming like I don't know what I'm doing. That's what I would, would not want to come across as someone who doesn't know what they're doing. In terms of writing, yes. But you know, it's really funny because this week um, had a little Twitter exchange um, with somebody who tweeted a, a, a really interesting quote by Bertrand Russell which said, the trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. So I think I'm just going to take that away from this, that I've just suddenly realised that I'm all right. <laughs> that seems like a good thing to take away. <laughs> yeah, totally. But you you have been online and out and about online for, for much, much longer than I have. And um, yeah, but you know, all that time that you spent setting up your online profile, do you find that now further down the line you don't have to spend so much time getting things out online because you've already done all the all the background work and and got everything set up and you've got more time to write or do you think actually then just maintaining everything online is just as just as time consuming um well i have cut back quite a lot i don't do as much blogging anymore though i would like to start doing it more again the, this podcast is the main thing that I do um, on the internet, and I and I I've, I mean I do share quite a lot of myself, but I ho- I think it's consistent. I like to think that if someone met me in real life, then they would they would they would <laughs> they would experience the same person that they listen to on the podcast or read on Twitter or or on the blog or that kind of thing. That's kind of been my my yardstick as to how much. I give away or how I behave online. Yeah. I, I don't want to give away like details, specific details about where I live or my family or, or anything like that. There is a kind of, um, a subconscious, I guess, sort of line that I've drawn, but at the same time, I want to come across as me and as authentic. And it's a difficult balance to kind of strike, but, uh, but, but in a way having been sort of, um, blogging or on uh, podcasting or just being online for longer that does that does i guess give you um 
a narrative that people understand. I mean, there'll be people who've been, and there are people who've followed the blog from the start, and you know they've literally witnessed from afar me go from being uh, uh, someone who wanted to finish writing a novel and mm. has no children or wife or anything like that to someone who has all of those things. Loads of them. And and I've loads and I indeed loads, indeed like Solomon. And, and I've had that experience with many other people online where I've seen them... I mean, think if I think about um, uh, uh, the wonderful Mike Hurley, for example, who who um, a lot of people who listen to this podcast may may know. He used to be my co-host. He he His story is there for everyone to see online. You know, he's... I wouldn't say he's grown up online, but his his life has changed in front of people, and I, mine is the same, I guess. And and that that will be the case for all of us now, but also even more so in the future, because this is how we'll be. But it's interesting, the, the, just to backtrack slightly, the idea of not knowing what you're doing, because that's about how you portray yourself. So maybe your maybe your concern was how you portray yourself online, how uh, the, the self doubt that you have. You're basically saying that you shouldn't. You 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 are concerned that you should, or should not, show some of that self doubt. Therefore, even though it's there, your persona that is public needs to be different. Like there is that there is a, a public writer and a more personal donor slash. Yeah, writer. I guess that's that's you know the the, the distinction between being my, a person and unsure about lots of different things, but actually with this collection. I think it was specifically the fact that like, I didn't want to sound like I had no idea what I was doing when I was putting the collection together, it, just because I had questions and I and I was le- I am learning every you know I mean just, just a constant learning process, writing and creating things like this, um, but you know that I, I I did have, well, I don't know, you I think I've said it all now I think I've said that I totally totally enjoy being interviewed online but that it was quite an enlightening experience because it made me think do I actually sit there and question myself too much online and do I come across like um, a jabbering idiot well you don't come across like a not a jabbering idiot anyway on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I I think I think writers are plagued with confidence issues and um and i think uh i think that it would be weird not to yeah to be slightly concerned when when doing interviews because i guess in an interview situation you are kind of you're the person who's supposed to have opinions and responses oh, yeah. to things exactly exactly that's that's really what it was like you're you're on the other side of the table finally you know suddenly and finally so um so yeah it's very interesting process very interesting indeed well, you asked me just then about how much, um, whether the fact that I'd been blogging or been online for, had my platform for um, for a while, whether that meant that I had more time to write now and whether I'd change things. And although yeah. I have, although I have, I, I do less um, online, that's more to do with the fact that my life has changed and it, I don't have, I don't necessarily have more time to write, but I do have, really have this issue at the moment um, and and someone asked me about this last week at the um, uh, the, the um, new generation publishing self publishing summit that I was at last week, which I mentioned on last week's show. Um, someone asked me about this: um, how much time do you spend writing, and how much do you spend, spend time do you spend building a platform? 
um, and 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 I was also asked whether you um, whether it was a good idea to stop building a platform through a blog before the work was out there. This person was planning to self-publish, so it was a, she was asking me basically whether she should launch a blog and then publish in a, you know whenever the book was ready, or whether to concentrate yeah. on the writing. And yeah. it's it's a real big issue for people now, and um, and. I, I'm, it's, I don't really know the answer because you, you do kind of have to do both. I mean, I'm in a position where I need to write a second novel, but I've got a first novel that I need to promote, and um, and and it and it's tough. I mean, have you? How do you feel about this balance? Do you feel like you strike that balance, or do you feel like it's it's a giant dilemma? It's a giant dilemma for me because my book is like right just now, right out now. <laughs> Sorry, didn't say that properly. My book is out right now and I think because I'm living in a quite a far away country and I'm maybe not doing as many events as I would like to be doing because there's not as much of an English language scene around me um, at the moment I'm probably focusing more on the online side of things and I'm just feeling like there's so much that I need to do online um, and that it's so important and it's so vital whereas actually probably it would just be better to just book some flights and go and do some readings instead you know yeah but i i agree we're doing events and doing readings is such a fantastic way for authors to get their work out there and to build a platform and to actually sell books and it's something that, that of all the kind of limitations that have <laughs> such a ridiculous horrible thing to say the limitations of having new children in my case child in most people's cases um is that you can't leave very often yeah. Um, and so that's and, and that's a real a real problem. But you can you can nip off upstairs and record a podcast once a week. Um, so there is stuff that you can do. But but oh, because... sorry, don't you mean nip upstairs and record a podcast episode once a week? <laughs> uh, yes, I suppose I do mean that. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I think you've done all right. You've been out and about a bit, haven't you? In terms of uh, events, I mean, you were just at that event recently. I, I've done some, but I don't think I, I, if I'd have been um, without child, I would have done a lot more. Yeah. So, but so, so I guess when time is pressed and everyone's is, um, it is how much time do you spend writing? How much do you time? How much time do you spend trying to build a flat a, pla- <laughs> build a platform? A, build a platform. <laughs> yeah, but you said to me recently that about getting cracking on Goodreads and what the hell was I doing and I this exactly this this whole situation is time isn't it where when have I got the time to go and do that now you know when I've got Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Pinterest and Instagram and you know my website and blah, blah, blah. and then of course I have to then think about that oh and Amazon as well and, and yeah well, I know when to do it well my answer has this, this is I guess this is I will now try and answer the question I balance time by being picky about what I do online. So I used to do lots of different stuff. And every time I tried to do that, it's become overwhelming. And so I basically, over the last few months, I've said, I'm not going to do a great deal other than this podcast. This is going to be the thing. It's got the biggest audience. I enjoy it the most this is going to be the thing that I'm going to make sure I turn up and do. It's easier to turn up and do every week because you know what time we're having a chat. And yeah. and so I'm going to s- stick to that. So when you list all these different things, 
I haven't updated my Pinterest for God knows how long. When I talk about Goodreads, I have a Goodreads profile, but I don't really do all the interacting stuff because it's a huge time commitment, although I know that it would be valuable. It's not something I particularly do. I just use it literally to track my reading, and I have an author profile, so people can find me if they want, which is what I was saying to you, that you need to get your profile sorted out. Yeah. Um, and and um, everything else, on uh, my Facebook page, I could make that really interesting. It could be a really fantastic Facebook page, but I don't. I know I don't have the time, and I would never have work on the second novel, and I would even struggle to do this podcast if I had let all these other things creep in. So one thing, and this is something I recommend to businesses and type things in my day job, is to not just go, well, all these options are available to me, I need to be on them all, which is some people's tactic, you need to be on everything. I have the tactic that I, that I go, well, I've got a limited amount of time, I also need to write, so I'm actually just going to choose one or two platforms and concentrate on doing a reasonably good job of those and not worry about the rest until a time in the future perhaps when I can do more but you see this is what I'm saying to you this when I asked you that question at the start I what I was mainly implying was that I think that because you put in all the groundwork a long time ago you don't have to put in so much time on those other things right now because they are there like you have got a Pinterest account you have got all Goodreads set up and all that kind of stuff you know so you're saying you're, you're talking about putting time in to actually get these things even started. Yeah, to getting them off the ground. And also because, like, I mean, I was um, chatting to another author who had said that they felt that, like, a, a website in this day and age was still useful because it was like a business card. Like, you know, that's, that's mainly what it was for. It was not necessarily something that was going to be that you were going to be able to, to get people to go to constantly. But that at the right time, it would be there to show you off online. And and I kind of feel that that's what mine's like, and I'm really glad that I've got it. It's not finished, but you still, you know, I mean, you're putting in the time to set it up and to get all that kind of stuff set up. And then I feel like you don't have to put in quite so much time once it's all set up because it's there, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. I think there is, when we talk about building a platform, excuse me, for a lot of people... And that it, Windy Pops again? It was a bit of Windy Pops. I just didn't want to confirm it. I was hoping that it had passed without, <laughs> without, without note. Uh, but, but no. Well, just a note, note for future reference. Don't say, excuse me, like that then. <laughs> Is that what I did? Did I say excuse me? Yes, you did. Oh. And then you, uh, I heard in the background, Windy Pops. <laughs> um, yes, I've got no idea what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying about... I said about my website. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, no yeah. So what, what I was, was going to say was, um, when people talk about building a platform and uh, when agents and publishers, and certainly if you want to self-publish, when people talk about platforms, generally they're talking about having a blog, not just a website, but about having a blog that people come back to and, and a Twitter account that is active and that has followers and that is gaining more followers all the time so the the word active i think is very important you can set up a website and just leave it there and if someone happens to find you fantastic or you can show people to it that's great but the idea of having a website that you give reason give people reasons to go back to like here's a new post i've written here's a new podcast episode that i've released then that's a different thing and i think sometimes the idea of building a platform is is building something that's active and changing and and moving forwards, gaining new subscribers, gaining new followers, something that a publisher or an agent can 
use and build upon and help you expand as opposed to exactly. something that is literally sat there as a business card. But if you, I mean, the, the podcast compared to writing a blog post, that, that doesn't take as much work, does it, in terms of keeping updated content on there well, or putting a, new content on there? There's an awful lot of work goes into this podcast, Donna. <laughs> compared to sitting down and writing blog posts. Well, it takes about the same amount of time, if not less. So, I mean, we, we record for three quarters of an hour. So, I mean, is, let's see if this is useful for people, I suppose it is, if you're trying to decide what to do. This podcast will take about three quarters of an hour to record, maybe slightly longer because we'll chat beforehand. And then um, I've got to edit it and put it online. That takes at least another half an hour, depending on how much nonsense we have to talk, we say and have to edit out. Um, or if you swear... <laughs> And don't forget all the massive amounts of preparation we do for it. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a lot of preparation. <laughs> um, so, you know, you're looking at a couple of hours for one podcast episode, and I would say you're probably looking at probably less than that for a blog post, really. But well, I That's think, really interesting, isn't it? I totally would have assumed that it would take less time and energy. I don't know why. I find it easier to do podcasts because when I write, I tend to fiddle about and take ages and try and make sure everything's perfect mm. but you know some people just knock something out and hey bish bash bosh there it is and it's yeah. you know, and it's perfectly good um so yeah i mean there is but there's always a time commitment with any with any of these things and in terms of balancing how much time you dedicate to your writing and building a platform i also think that it depends at what it depends on what point you're at with your writing so people who've been listening and reading for a uh, for a while might know that there are periods where I didn't do, I just stopped. I just stopped blogging, and I'd said, right, okay, um, I've got three months to get my final edits to my agent or to to the publisher. So basically, I'm not going to be doing anything else apart from that. So I won't be putting anything online. There's been loads of if you look through the archives for Write for Your Life, you'll see huge, not huge, but you'll see noticeable gaps where I've just said, do you know what? This is far more important to actually do my writing as opposed to the blogging and podcasting or whatever it might be uh, and then there have been other times where I've not written for a while and I've really focused on the other stuff um, and being able to work sometimes you don't need to to kind of know or think about when to balance it, it's just obvious if you've got a deadline coming for something then you just sack off the other thing, it's just if where possible um, it, it's it's you know fairly straightforward in terms of a decision Um but when you when uh, and in some ways this is the now this is the first time where I kind of have to maintain both and do both. I don't feel like I'm in a position now where I can just go okay no no online stuff no podcasting no blogging no nothing because I've got a book to sell like I say and um, I want to at least keep keep things going even if it's you know. In, in a minimal kind of way, I feel like it's it's more difficult to make that decision. But it's um, it's a, it's a valid kind of it's a valid kind of internal argument to to have as to you know which is the most important at any given time, and only only each author, each writer can really know that. Totally, I think that's that that sums it up, doesn't it? You just got to take each piece of writing, each book, and uh, each thing as it comes. Indeed. Do you, what's it? Do, what's it time for? Listeners' questions. So this week we have a question from Brown Marbles. I already did the joke about it being medical condition, so I won't do that again. <laughs> and um, it's uh, this uh, wonderful person on Twitter, 
um, who has a real name, and I believe it's just one name, Justin. Ask and his avatar is a dinosaur. Got another one, don't you reckon? Possibly, but he's not willing to share it. If so, <laughs> um, so this is uh, Justin, who is at Brown Marbles on Twitter. Go find him. His avatar is a dinosaur with blood sort of everywhere. I don't know if that's. I don't <gasps> think that's. And, and it's eye. Oh my god, I hadn't seen that before. It's like eye with all the eye muscles sort of hanging out over its cheek. <laughs> this dinosaur. It, this dinosaur is in all kinds of trouble. That looks like the operation I had in 2003. Oh, my God. You know, my mum just... That's so disgusting, but she just had... Um, I don't even know what it's called. Like an x-ray the back of her eye, because get this, she had a freckle on her optic nerve. That was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. The freckle? No, the, the x-ray picture of the inside of someone's eye. You know about my eye operation, don't you? Oh, God, I've forgotten about that. That's what I was just talking about. This dinosaur looks like me in 2003. One minute. At Brown Marbles. That is not a dinosaur. What's oh, it? no, it is. It's a rabid one. <laughs> it's like Godzilla rabid dinosaur. With his eyes hang- hanging out, look. Oh, my God, it is. I didn't even see that. So, and that, that's actually not very funny because that's really what they did to you, wasn't it? Yes. They actually really did put your eye on your face. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is this is an unexpected tangent, but it's true. I um, oh I don't mind sharing. From the age of sixteen to um, when I had it done, my eyesight got a bit weird. It was kind of fine, but I would get double vision if I looked into the right, right to the right hand side of my field of vision. Uh, there was double vision, so if I looked straight on and then moved my eyes to the right, I would get double vision. And at first I thought well, that's a bit odd, but you know it doesn't really affect me. But then gradually over several years, it worked its way around so that it was if I if I if I looked straight on and I moved my eyes, let's say ten degrees to the right, I would get double vision. So basically, I was my my entire <laughs> I was always looking. I was always moving my head to look, if that makes sense. So instead of like looking to the right with my eyes, I would have to look with my head because I'd have to keep looking straight. Otherwise, I would get double vision. And um, I always knew that the only way of fixing it was to have an operation. Um, and uh, for years, I was like, well, it's OK, I can cope. But when when we used to go to the pub when I was at university and all my friends, got, we got to a point where all my friends would sit to the left of me because they knew that if I sat to the right, sat the opposite side, I would have either double vision or I'd be looking at them a bit weird. Um, eventually I decided to have the operation now I didn't for some reason even though I had lots of preparation for some reason I didn't really get what was going to happen to me I kind of just thought it was a minor operation and I suppose it was quite uh, you know for the surgeon I guess it was something that they did regularly but I assumed that it would be some kind of laser type thing because it was a problem with the muscles it was one of the muscles was slightly weak so it wasn't moving my eye around properly like physically moving my eye and it and when I when I came round, I had the mother of all headaches, and I I honestly can't describe how how much of a headache I had when I came round. General anaesthetic, and um, my eye was bright red for about three weeks. And I, when I say bright red, I mean crimson. So there was my 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 eyeball, uh, sorry, the uh, iris, and then the white bit was just entirely red. And it turns out that instead of having some sort of laser thing, my the operation was actually to... that They basically, they, they popped my eye out of the socket, popped it on my old cheek, severed one of the muscles in my eye, 
from my eyeball and then reattached it slightly closer and then popped my eye back into my eyeball. Popped it back in. Back into my socket. So you're not one of those people now. I mean, you know, obviously I've seen you since then quite a bit, but um, one of these people who can actually flick their eyes out from between their eyelash eyelids. Have you tested it? You might be able to do it. Who can do what? Look online. There are people who can actually just go bang and just like pop their eyes through their eyelids. Hang on. When you so say they're sticking out. When you say people, are you thinking specifically of this dinosaur? <laughs> no, I mean real people. I think it's a medical con- condition that makes it possible. Anyway, everyone can go and have a look at that. It's fascinating stuff. I've I've used hours looking at that. <laughs> it sounds awful. I didn't know that. And no, I I can't do that. My I I'm I am exactly like I always was. <laughs> You're the man you always meant to be. Indeed, just with an eye <laughs> that now works. But it was I, when I found out, I was like, thank goodness i did not know that that was going to happen to me otherwise i I would have sold myself repeatedly that's a great technique just don't tell anybody what's going to happen to them when before they have something done well i think i think my parents knew but i think they didn't tell me they they seemed far more worried before i went in than i uh, than i was Um, Ian, have we even answered the listener's question? We haven't even begun. We just talked about uh, Brown Marbles and And his dinosaur avatar on Twitter. So let's move on to the question, which was, is, would it be better to self-publish a novella rather than try and sell it to a publisher? Mm. And um, you have some experience um, of discussing this subject, I believe. Well, yes, because a few episodes ago um, on this podcast of ours, I... um, my co-host for that episode was a chap called Sean Mahalik, and he had done just that. So he had self... No, sorry, he hadn't self-published. He'd had his novella published. And the reason I am saying this slowly is because I'm trying to find out which episode it was. Um, That's right, you could pop it in the show notes. I'm going to pop it in the show notes. Don't you worry about that for a single second. It was... <laughs> It was episode 82, and it was called Novellas and Unconventional Routes to Publication. So in that episode, um, we, we, he, uh, Sean told us about his, his story and how he'd, he'd got it published by, um, um, I think they were sort of friends of his online who got this successful website and had started to publish um, uh, uh, books, and, um, and he approached them with a novella and he got it published. But... What I would say um, in terms of the actual question is about whether you should send it to a, uh, sell it to a publisher or self-publish it. I do think, and I hope I'm not to, uh, speaking um, uh, wrongly here, but I think that it would be more difficult to sell a novella as a, as a debut author to a publisher than it would be to a full novel. I think that novella, novellas would be more difficult for them to market, more difficult for them to sell, and therefore they would probably... It would probably have to be a really, really good novella for them to publish it as your first novel or f- first piece of work. Yeah, yeah, no. And isn't it weird that I just tweeted this week a picture of a lovely-looking set of novellas that Melville House had published? It's, it's just completely bizarre because I don't think about novellas very often. I can't even remember the last one I read. That's well, there's, really- there's also Amazon singles, of course, which are really popular now. Yeah. Yeah. I've read two novellas in the last um, two years, three years, and 
and and and we should I should I say this because um, although I'm saying it's probably not a great idea to try and sell a novella to a publisher as your first attempt, it doesn't mean that the genre is completely devoid of success because. Um, Julian Barnes' The Sense of an Ending won the Booker Prize, and that was classed as a novel, but let's be honest, folks, it's less than 150 pages long and um, doesn't take very long to read. And this year, the Booker Prize, shortlisted, was um, The Testament of Mary, which is written by Colm Toibn. Is that right? I don't know. You know this. You know how we pronounce this. We talked about this weeks ago. Oh, come to bean. Come to bean. There we go. <laughs> I just had no idea what you were saying because of the way you said it. I was so far away from being right that it actually confused yes. you. So that's and, and that was nominated for the Booker, and that I think it's like 120 pages or something like that. Both great books, both hugely successful, but both written by very well-established authors. Very well-established, I think that's the key, isn't it? But did you say that they were classed as novels, even though they're that long? Well, they were nominated. They were up for the Booker Prize, so yes. But does it say in the Booker Prize that it has to be a novel? Ooh, I haven't got the rules with me to hand, but I think so. Um, I'm just looking at this picture now of the novellas that I, I tweeted earlier in the week, and I can see that The Dead by James Joyce is on there. I, that's Isn't that one of the short stories from his Dubliners collection? Hmm, I've read the Dubliners and I can't quite remember because it was a long time ago. But I... it is, It's a short story, so hang on a second. Oh, just rewind a little bit here. What on earth is the difference between a novella and a short story, then, if that's a short story that's under the novella umbrella? Well, this is the other thing, perhaps, to say to uh, to Brown Marbles, is that, are you sure you've written a novella? Because it seems to me that there are some slightly, without wanting to go all Robin Thick on you, blurred lines here. Please don't go all Robin Thick on anybody. You'll probably get arrested. Well, he should be arrested. <laughs> I, that's, I take that back. That's probably um, libelous and slander. I, I, although I didn't actually accuse him of anything, he probably hasn't done anything criminal. Um, there are obviously lots of writers who only write short stories um, and have been very successful from that. When we're talking about encouraging somebody maybe to, to build up a body of work before they try to get a novella published through mainstream publishers, can you think of anybody who became massively famous through publishing novellas? on their own or did most people who have managed to publish novellas um the mainstream way written novels or short stories or other things before do you think i'm sure there are examples but i can't quite think of any i mean i think that um um catcher in the rye is pretty short yeah and that's classed as a novel there are lots of examples of short, basically short novels. Short novels, yeah. I remember On Chesil Beach is really short, isn't it? Yeah. I read that. Yeah, and The, the Sea, John Banville's pretty short. Oh, that, hang on a minute, that seemed quite long to me. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> cool, I think we answered the um, listener's question. Do you think we had, you're getting, you're, in, you're getting enthusiastic about that now. Well, I feel it also helps us along a little bit because... Um, because it does. It just, it just, it just the flow of it is just really working for me. Well, I hope that we answered that question. I don't know if we did entirely. Uh, I've not written a novella. Neither of you, uh, neither have I tried to get one published or self-publish it. But what I would say is, if you just, uh, just have a think about, it's less important about what it is, and it's more important that you, if you decide to approach agents or publishers with it, that you choose the right ones. For example, people that take on short books or novellas. 
Um, and if you're self-publishing it, it's it's important to um, do all the things that you would normally do. So make sure that it's well edited, that it's um, 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 nicely designed, and that um, you are marketing it as a novella. Um, so as long as you treat it well and right for what it is, then um, then I, I don't know if it really matters. So, but yeah, yeah. The one piece of advice is that it's more difficult, I think, to sell that type of fiction that length of fiction as a first attempt absolutely agreed and that's it that we have finished i don't think there's any need for the jingle again no well, i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna um, inflict it on anyone so well, don't I just, worry just wanted to check it there's been about four, <laughs> four or five so far <laughs> <laughs> um, um great shall i tell everybody where they can see me uh, they can see me online at twitter at the flying poet i've got facebook page uh, donna Sorensen poetry or my website sorensenpoetry.com I'm Ian Broom on Twitter, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, or you can find previous episodes of this podcast at my website, which is ianbroom.com slash podcast. Or you can find the blog there too, slash blog. You can do what you, do what you want there, like, if you really, I don't, don't, nice. don't really mind. <laughs> Great, well, I'll see you next week, eh? Will do. Bye.